Welcome to the Weekly Artifact. I'm Justin, and this is my co-host. My name's Alex. We're two former creative writing majors searching for meaning in a sea of content. Every other week, we'll select one piece of content each, an article, a video, another podcast that we found particularly interesting and discuss it. As always, our comments are our own and are not associated with any institution. The show may contain explicit language or themes. See the show notes for specific content warnings. Justin, what's your uh, what do you got this week? So this week, my article. <clears throat> I don't have the title. The first ever live episode. <laughs> Just the two of us, anyways, in a room. That's <laughs> fine. Right. We run down the Marriott, Justin. This is how you're gonna fucking waste our two hours. <laughs> uh, hold on, it's gonna take me a second here. <clears throat> he copied and pasted everything but the title. <laughs> this is good radio. No, no, this is probably good. <laughs> okay, here we go. That's why it takes me two months to do everything. <laughs> I make it easier for you. You can just cut out all this like three minutes straight up. So my artifact this week is an article from the New Yorker called Why Facts Don't Change Our Minds by Elizabeth Colbert or perhaps Colbert. Not sure the pronunciation on that. Um, but the article uh, is, as the title suggests, just about how our minds do not do and do not get changed by new information. And so it kind of goes through a couple different experiments that have been done to sort of test this idea of whether or not people are willing to change their minds. So the first one, you know, they tested a bunch of students. They get suicide notes. Some of them are real and some of them are fake and they have to decide which are which. And afterward, they're told that they either did really well or really poorly, not based on how they actually did, just kind of randomly they're told they did really well or really poorly but then after that then they revealed to them that actually their scores were made up and that you know so now they don't they no longer know how they did anymore they only know what they were told and that what they were told wasn't true but then asked how they think they actually did the ones who had been told they did well still believed that they did well and the ones who are told they did poorly still believe they did poorly. And so a lot of the experiments basically follow a somewhat similar pattern where certain information, either the participants come in with a certain belief or they're sort of given a certain belief and then sort of given new information or the information has changed and then asked again, they pretty much will believe the same thing coming out of it despite having new information. And sort of what these experiments show is once we have an idea in our heads, regardless of how or why it's there, it sort of sticks, um, even with the addition of of new information. And so what this article talks about, kind of, it takes a, basically a, a, an evolutionary psychology approach, which uh, evolutionary psychology is can sometimes be good, sometimes not. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it talks about pretty much how a lot of the, it talks about the way logic evolves in humans rather than sort of being something that's, you know, infallible and handed down from some higher power or something, which 
I feel like is sometimes how people think about logic, but it sort of evolves and has specific reasons why it evolved that sort of deal with having group cohesiveness. It talks about cooperation and how it can sort of help with that. But that sort of in the world that we live now, where we are sort of trying to use the same logic to, as it says, solve abstract logical problems or even to help us draw conclusions from unfamiliar data, it doesn't always hold up and these are examples of like different forms of confirmation bias which is basically what the article is looking at sort of bears that out and also in addition to the sort of confirmation bias another thing it sort of highlights is the what it calls the illusion of explanatory depth uh, which talks about how basically the experiment was to sort of have people describe how a toilet works and as the more people tried to describe it, sort of, the more they realized they didn't really know exactly how it works, but sort of that we assume that since we use toilets every day and since someone presumably knows how they work, then we probably know how they work too. And it connects that to these larger policy issues. You know, in a similar vein, we a lot of people tend to believe they know a lot about healthcare or foreign policy. But if you ask them to actually explain it, then they'll sort of realize that they might actually not know as much as they believe. So one example they gave was the less likely someone was to be able to find Ukraine on a map, the more likely they were to support military intervention. Uh, this article mm. sort of came out around the time when there was a lot of controversy over Russia annexing Crimea. And so that's sort of where the article sort of concludes. If there's any hope, it's kind of in being more challenged to explain some of our thoughts. Uh, it says, you know, if we are or our friends or the pundits on CNN spent less time pontificating and more trying to work through the implications of our policy proposals, we realize how clueless we are and moderate our views. The article, I think there are some issues with it. Like I said, uh, even that sort of last line I read, I'm not sure. I'd be kind of curious what the author sort of meant by moderating our views. Uh, I'm not sure that necessarily talking through issues will lead to what some people might call more moderate views, um, but perhaps she just means if there's an issue you're not informed on, maybe on that one you'd be more willing to to take more information in. But I think I think it's just like a good jumping off point for thinking about how to change people's minds and like why people tend not to. I guess. Well, I you know when I read things like this, well, fuck. What if we're wrong? You know, like. <laughs> What if we're? What if Reagan was right? I don't know, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what if the what if the facts support you know sort of like aggressive fascist conservatism or something like that? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't think that's the case, but that's the point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely, uh, I think I think there's like two sort of paths to sort of take with this discussion. One is sort of that path you just outlined, which is was what are the implications for sort of our own worldviews and how do we know they're right? And then I guess the other one would just kind of be like, well, you know, is this, is, is our own sort of podcast doing anything 
different that could somehow change minds or are we just you know is this just a pointless endeavor i guess well i mean we know it's a pointless endeavor i was gonna say (laughs) inherently anything i do i I haven't made it abundantly clear on like any recorded part of this podcast i'm exclusively here to ship post and talk with you and stay with me so i have no i have no responsibility or expectations to anybody else don't vaccinate your children do vaccinate your children that was it please please for the love of god um <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean i think i mean i guess that's sort of like what i was pointing to with with that line about moderating uh our views with more information is i think it depends how you sort of want to define what is correct or not but i think there are positions that are correct and, and so i guess what i mean specifically is like if what you value is, you know, trying to prevent people from pain and suffering and, and death, then I don't think you could really make an argument against like, you know, universal health care or something like that's going to give the most people health coverage or something like that. But, you know, if you only value making sure that, you know, people are able to become CEOs and make a billion dollars, then I guess you might, you know, privatize health insurance still. But yeah, I do think once you sort of set the terms of what you're valuing, I think it is still possible to to know that you're correct about something, even though if you're not correct, it might be kind of hard to get out of it. But I think if you know what you're trying to do and you, you do enough research, I think it is possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, and they talk about sort of like why the scientific method sort of like withstands all this, because even if you have zero reason to sort of confirm what another person, in another laboratory says, like theoretically the methodology will, uh, succeed over any sort of squabbling or anybody being stuck in place and so like i mean you can have statistics and you can have reactions and reports and information that says like the effects after like a certain legislative piece you know was enacted but it's like it's harder to sort of i think that just any sort of amount of murkiness you can throw in there like will make it well that's just fucking fake news liberal bias fucking bird dirt like you know just like shit like this like i mean even bills that like are actively failing like i mean something that i like more like invested in is like the sesta fosta anti-trafficking like bill that just like fucked over sex workers for the last like two years and now like we know because there's been a bunch of reports from like independent organizations saying this bill sucks ass and like the congress just like passed a thing to like do their own study to see if it's bad or not like we don't you don't need it we got it like i don't know it's just like shit like that like the scientific method can't be sort of you know one-to-one with sort of a social uh societal welfare is not going to be as sort of able to be navigated through the scientific method so it's harder even still to prove something like universal healthcare as like the better option i don't know it's just like shitty <laughs> it's a pointless mm. endeavor justin as you mentioned prior <laughs> I think we know that science is not infallible just based on the fact that science is always sort of revising itself, which is sort of the point, you know, it's supposed to, I don't think any scientist would tell you that science is infallible and perfect. I think the point is to constantly be gathering better data and coming to better conclusions, although it, of course, like wants to be always correct. 
and and so like a lot of that how the data gets gathered a lot of times will influence uh you know what what the conclusion you come to is and the scientific method's kind of like a way to try to you know fight against this but even that is maybe not 100% 100% correct. Like the article says, providing people with accurate information does not seem to help. They simply discount it. Appealing to their emotions may work better, but doing so is obviously antithetical to the goal of promoting sound science. And so, like, the implication being that science is the opposite of emotion. And in some ways, I don't totally disagree with that in the sense of, I think in broad strokes, I think you can draw distinctions, but I do think, particularly depending on what kind of science it is, a lot of emotion does go into the data gathering, but also even just thinking about how certain things get funded and what experiments are allowed to sort of be conducted to. I think the article sort of is a little bit too dismissive of the idea of sort of like emotional appeals, which I guess I do think tend to be more effective than logical appeals, although sure. despite what a college freshman will write in all their papers. <laughs> Not that I necessarily know anything about that, but local freshman destroys professor with facts and lies. <laughs> uh, it is like interesting though. I think people really do. I think have this belief, and I don't know where it comes from, but that facts and statistics and stuff like that is going to be is the most persuasive. And if they just pile up enough facts and link to enough articles, that they that they will prove their point or whatever. When uh, really, I think not just emotional appeals, but stories and narratives are what kind of draw people in right. to one side or another. And I think kind of once you're drawn in, then you can sort of like support that view with additional facts and statistics. But if anything, because there's you know three main ways to persuade, which are like facts, emotions, and then just sort of the uh the source like with people like respect the source and so i think particularly like if you know if it's like your friend or someone telling you a story i think that's going to be more persuasive than any sort of facts even though people tend to rank it the opposite and put facts first for whatever reason Uh the rarely talked about fourth option will just beat the shit out of somebody (laughs) until they agree with you (laughs) i guess if you want to take the cowards away and only mention the first three that's fine i wouldn't blame you you're like the rest of the fucking pigs (laughs) all right alex well (laughs) what is what is your artifact this week so mine's uh article from Vulture um that I have readily available at the sto- at the to- at the top. So as um, did I. I don't know what you're talking mm, about. Bong Jun Ho won't direct a Nope. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch, I copied the wrong article because I was reading the other one. Nope. Well, that's my own fault, I guess. Wow, that was talk, a perfect cell phone. Talk, talk too much shit to lose, and then every you know what only happens when you do that. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> that one has to stay. Right? Yeah. I gotta keep well okay, but that's the thing then, Justin. Then we have there has to be a setup for that then too. I mean that's not gonna be a full three minutes, but it's gonna be a little bit. <laughs> God damn it. <sighs> Fuck me. That's what, that's what this podcast is made on. <laughs> it's the bread and butter of this fucking piece of shit. <laughs> 
the article by also by Vulture is Bong Joon Ho's Dystopia is already here by Devin Ivy. Nope, by e- God damn it! I knew it! I knew it! I knew it! I copied the wrong author from the last one. Relax. <laughs> by E. Alex Jung. This is a fairly long article, in-depth article, about, it follows the author and the director um, on sort of a press circuit for um, Parasite, and they talk about, um, well, at first it starts off with the sort of fight that Bong Joon-ho had with Harvey Weinstein, shout out, um, (laughs) with uh, the release of his film, one of his earlier films, Snowpiercer, the opening line is like the standoff between Bong Joon-ho and Harvey Weinstein over the U.S. cut of Snowpiercer had all the hallmarks of a scene. The director might shoot himself. High drama. The Korean auteur versus the bullish American. Philosophical questions of artistic integrity in the time of mass consumption. Gallows humor. And so it talks about, you know, the sort of Snowpiercer as a film. You know, it comes off sort of like a slick action Hollywood movie, but it has revolutionary themes. You know, the class rebellion set in a sci-fi dystopia on a train um, led by... You know, the Captain America actor Chris Evans himself, um, even though despite its blockbuster appeal, Snowpiercer languished in limbo in the U.S. Under the, after the Weinstein Company bought the distribution rights in 2012. Um, instead of giving the film the immediate release, though, Weinstein demanded changes. He wanted to cut 25 minutes. He wanted more action and, quote, more Chris Evans. And, you know, Bong Joon-ho talks about how, you know, he never needed to do a, quote, unquote, director's cut. It was always just his movie and that's sort of what he sends out and you know i've never done any editing i didn't want to do but you know weinstein's nickname is harvey scissor hands which you know I, there's probably a joke in there somewhere um and you know he took ed pride in his ability to edit films and he said he'd watch the movie and he said wow bong you're a genius but like we gotta cut out the dialogue <laughs> so you know bong recalls that cutting 25 minutes of that film felt like taking out a major organ without the dialogue the movie became incoherent and character motivation made no sense which you know is how scripts and films and stories work but that's never gonna let harvey weinstein tell him no the industry <laughs> been dragged on for months um and weinstein ended up showing what he wanted edited to a test audience and it was so much dialogue uh cut out viewers felt lost and gave the film very low marks on the inside i was happy says bong the score was bad he said but weinstein comes on and goes the score is very bad we got to cut more so <laughs> Um, and so he said if it came down to, you know, the movie that Harvey wanted, um, then Bong would have taken his name off of it and, you know, just wouldn't have let it play. Meanwhile, news of the conflict had leaked to the press, rallying cinephiles and the film stars, including John Hurt and Tilda Swinton, uh, who wanted to see Bong's version preserved. Weinstein backed down with a compromise, though he kicked the movie down to the company's independent arm radius instead of a wide release. So it got a limited, instead of a wide release, it got a limited one. Maybe for Weinstein, it was some kind of big punishment for a filmmaker who doesn't uh, do what he wants, says Bong. But for me, we were all very happy he got his director's cut. You know, his films, Bong is like collectively, I mean, Parasite's the newest one, but he has you know, a handful of films under his belt, obviously. And, you know, some more well-known in America than others. But the author writes that his films often center on underdogs fighting against authoritarian forces. In his 2006 breakout movie, the host, Korean family finds themselves battling a giant river monster born of American malfeasance when a U.S. military off- official orders a Korean lackey to pour hundreds of bottles of formaldehyde directly into the drain, which did happen in Seoul in 2000, and that creates the beast that terrorizes the city. Memories of a Murder uh, is a scathing black comedy about police incompetence. The host is an indictment of American hubris disguised as a monster movie. Um, Okja, which is the Netflix movie that he produced after Snowpiercer, 
the Totoro S escape story until gears until the gears of factory farming begin to turn and in Paris of the newest film, the scam ultimately reveals something more insidious that wealth is always built upon poverty and that the two are locked in constant struggle. The poor wish to be rich and in order for someone to be rich, someone else must be poor. And, you know, he says, you know, he admits Oak just no Pierce of Paris that they're all stories about capitalism before it's a massive sociological term. Capitalism is just our lives. And, you know, the, the author goes on to say because Parasite is such a distinctly Korean film that it resonates so widely, the trials and exigencies of modern Korean history, Japanese colonialism, the Korean War, military dictatorship have given an entire generation of filmmakers like Lee Chang Dong with Burning and Park Chan Wook with Old Boy and Bong himself a sense of breathing urgency. Korean filmmaking feels prescient today because of its own recent entanglements with authoritarianism and poverty. It is less that Korean films have caught up with modern times than that modern times have caught up with Korean cinema. So, Justin, I guess I'll open with how many films have you seen? I know you said you've seen Snowpiercer. Have you seen anything else by Mr. Bong Joon-ho? I saw part of Okja. I, I didn't f- really care for it, and I didn't finish it. Although, I won't say it was... I want. It sounds like it was so bad that I just like stopped watching it. But really, I was like doing. It just was like on while I was doing other stuff, and then I like sat down to watch it because I heard it was good, but then didn't really like it. So then just like continued doing other stuff. If I had sat down specifically to watch, I probably would have finished it. But but that's the only other one that I've seen part of. Yeah, and he talks about in that article too that he like Bong Joon Ho specifically like sought out. Okja, um, because Netflix gave him a guaranteed 100% approval rating for everything, um, including the final cut and the rating, and so, you know, that after, I think after the Weinstein incident especially, that he's been very careful about, you know, being able to preserve his piece, and I've seen Snowpiercer, I've seen Okja, I'll be seeing Parasite, by the time this comes out, I've seen Parasite five times, <laughs> I don't, I haven't seen The Host, I haven't seen Burning by Li Chang Dong either, but it's not our fault. We're American. Um, if that's too much, if that's too much of a dox, we can edit it. Out, but international films are so under the radar all the time. You really have to truly have to go out of your way to like even hear about films like this. And I say even Parasite is like it's not under the radar, but like I mean, it's remarkable how much inf- like information is out there for considering like the genesis of the film. But then again, we're also I'm I think we're more a little more into like the film sphere than other people are anyway. So I guess I don't know how much other people know about this movie. I wouldn't be surprised if my, like my mom hadn't looked, didn't even know it existed. So which one parasite parasite. Yeah. Uh, I'm planning to see it. Uh, hopefully eventually. Yeah. I just haven't had a chance to yet, but, but I did. I like, I like snow piercer and it seems like, I think I saw that on that Letterboxd app. It's the highest rated movie of all time now. To oh, get... is. Yeah, it like beat out like Godfather Part mm-hmm. 1, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, But that comes with the caveat of it's about how like the problems with capitalism and rich people and like Obama and Chrissy Teigen and Elon Musk are like, it's my best fair movie of the year. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I've, I've never seen people say like this is a failure on Parasite's part. I've seen people responding to that sign saying like, well, no, when the movie is about the obliviousness of rich people, the fact that they like it still just reaffirms <clears throat> the message. So mm-hmm. I will see it and we can come back to our own opinions when we eventually sit down and just do a movie episode, I think. We keep building. I think slightly, we, I have to like go back and listen to all these, but we just mentioned like, a single movie here and there like to talk about later. <laughs> so like, eventually we'll just get hash all that out. Mm-hmm. And then 
will never look back. I will never have to read ever again for this piece of shit podcast. I can just sit there and let the pictures do the talking to me. <laughs> you never had to read. You can do videos. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> A man who doesn't know the intro to his own podcast. Uh, for those who are wondering this, so the author says that he asks what he thinks, what Bong Joon-ho thinks of the fact that no Korean film has ever been nominated for an Oscar despite the country's outsized influence on cinema in the past few decades. It's a little strange, but it's no big deal, uh, says Joon-ho, shrugging. The Oscars are not an international film festival. They're very local. And that's a good thing to remember because, again, as being Americans, like, it is not an international film festival. It's nothing like that. It's just here are the movies, and they literally have a category for international films. Like, it is the high mark because we have the Hollywood, but, like, truly, like, I don't, I have no idea what, like, the French think of the Oscars. Considering they're French, they probably couldn't give less of a shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Oscars suck anyway. Like, I was that's very true. Looking back at all the best picture nominations from this last decade and like half of them like i haven't even like heard of like they're <laughs> just like the most like forgettable movies and then some of them are just bad um i remember i was watching a video from cracked about how the oscars are shitty and it was like the oscars should take place 10 years after the films they talk about come out like 2004 oscars we would talk about the 1994 films <laughs> it was like and then it would be the battle between shawshank and pulp fiction would be legendary as opposed to fucking forrest gump sweeping <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't hate that. I mean, well, I, I think ten years is probably a little bit too long. I think also sometimes time can distort. It. Sometimes time clarifies. Sometimes it distorts. But yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, mainly for me, it's like it's. I think it's too difficult. Like, because one of the things that happens because of the way the Oscars are set is that everyone just like saves their the movies that they think have a chance until like December or whatever, and then like. Mm-hmm. December, we see like all the movies that are like supposed to win come out, I mean, and the Oscars are also just kind of corrupt in that like it's not it's not like these people just sit down and like discuss what movies they think are the best. Like there's like a lot of, like behind the scenes like favors being done to like get movies to be considered. Even if you waited ten years, it wouldn't fix all the problems with the Oscars. But I do think it makes so- sense to wait at least a little bit to just like have some time to actually make sure you've watched all the movies and like had a chance to sit down and think about them for a second. Since this article came out, obviously it's been nominated for six uh, Oscars for best picture for best director, best screenplay, original screenplay, best international film, uh, best film editing and best production design. So came out swinging for the, for never having a Korean film nominated before. So, I mean, we'll see. I don't, have zero expectations for the academy to do anything but i mean like you said with the corruption too um you vote like just by yourself and the people who vote are the only people that have been nominated before so it's just a real big literal big circle jerk (laughs) well i mean not literal but well i mean i guess it could i mean behind you said behind the scenes favors justin Stanley Kubrick didn't die for you to tell me that the Oscars aren't a literal circle jerk. Just so <laughs> some goddamn respect. Keep your eyes wide open, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, the Oscars will definitely be over by the time this episode's out. Uh, we can throw out our picks. I think uh, 
Joker is going to win every category. It's not nominated for, and that's my that's my Oscar. That's my hot take. Here, I'll make a real Best Picture nomination prediction here. Let me just look up what they are first. Oh, wow. Half of these suck, but uh, no, that's not true. But, okay, how did... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I was kidding, but like half of these do actually suck. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Parasite's going to win, because I think they're, they're too racist to let it win, and also it's, mm-hmm. it's too much of a critique of... Absolutely. Capitalism. Same with Joker, though. I think Joker is also. They're probably gonna be like, oh, like, I mean, the Irishman's probably gonna win. Yeah, oh, but it's Netflix though. But it's Netflix though. Ooh, I yeah, I didn't. But is Ford versus Ferrari gonna take it? <laughs> I'm really, I'm kind of scared. Like, really, I'm like just praying it doesn't. But um, yeah, I'm still gonna go out on a limb and say the Irishman pulls it off. They can't. But it's Scorsese. Yeah, I'm gonna say if it's if it's not Irishman, I guess it will be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm gonna fuck around and say top two picks are. I'm I hate it. I don't like. I don't agree. But my top two picks are either 1917 or Ford versus Ferrari. I'm gonna go as wow. straight and as straight as they can. Well, because what won last year? Last year, no, last year Green Book oh, won. Oh fuck. yeah, they, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's absolutely 1917 or <laughs> Ford vs Ferrari. They did their very bad movie that was supposed to be our race, and they let it go. So absolutely, we're keeping it straight today. <laughs> That's the thing. Like I could see, like Joker would get some of the same people upset, but it would actually be a, a million times better pick than for uh, than um. What, I already forgot what you said what the Green Book, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah um official prediction is irishman i'm gonna say i'll go 1917 i'll go as though just the classic war movie epic um i think that's as good enough as a segue <laughs> that, that, there was no segue <laughs> All right, so now that we're somehow in the safe room, Alex, what do you have on your mind? Uh, I have on my mind the phrase, you know, the understanding that we don't speak ill of the dead and how vehemently I disagree with that. Uh, and we should absolutely dunk on the dead every given opportunity with the caveat <laughs> that you dunked on them before they were dead. Because if you do it after they're dead exclusively, you're a coward. Unless, I guess, you were an authoritarian head of state. Like, I guess if you waited to dunk on Stalin, I can give you a pass. <laughs> but that's about it. Uh, mostly, I was in the headspace for this because fucking Harvey Weinstein's fucking going for the best actor award himself and this fucking walker up the stairs bullshit. And he's, he's going to, like, trap shit. You haven't seen those photos. Yeah. But it's, I, like, I don't know. I'm deeply afraid. I don't, not Harvey Weinstein specifically, but maybe. But anybody that was in any you didn't like at all or like making jokes about them after they die is just I, why I with the I always assumed it was because like, uh, well, they can't like, you know, defend themselves or whatever. But like, fuck them. They had their chance. I don't give a shit. <laughs> they, they didn't want to have to if they didn't want to be in a position where they had to defend themselves. They shouldn't have been somebody worth fucking roasting. I don't give, fuck that kid. <laughs> fuck, fuck any of them. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like somebody like I, I mean, there's like. I don't know if this might get edited, but there was kids that I went to middle school with that are dead now. They were fucking assholes then. <laughs> they died. They probably died assholes. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess 
for me, it's just it, you know, I seems to come around like uh, you know famous figures, and it's always just like, oh, uh, they just died. Like, don't talk bad about them yet. But then it's like, okay, but no one's gonna be talking about them in like eight months from now. Like, this is the time to say whatever you're gonna say about them, good or bad. Yeah, I, don't, I kind of feel like you, because I, I guess the, the the sort of like the common point is always like, well. You know, like if when you pass on, like either like you, depending on their perspective or like your family or whatever, won't want people like trash talking you or whatever. It's like a time to mourn. But it's like, I don't think I am going to do anything that will lead to a bunch of people trying to trash talk me after I pass on. Like, I I literally want my like eulogy to be a roast. I hope you bring the heat. Like, you're, you already, you know what you're supposed to do at my funeral. You already know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> everybody else needs to let it happen that's their job <laughs> if, if i die like it'll be i don't know if it'll be more funny or more traumatizing if i die very soon or if i die super old i think the best time if i died at like 55 and then you just come in as like another 55 year old man just fucking dunk that shit in the ground <laughs> but like if i die like tomorrow i really want you to do it like I really need you to just flip over my casket. See, I need you to live until I'm like old enough to be like using a walker or something, and just like <laughs> like ambling up like step by step to your casket, and then just like shaking, like pulling on it. <laughs> like everyone just asking me if I'm okay, like what's going on. Like slow, like inch by inch, like dragging it while I'm just like shaking uncontrollably. Oh my god, I'm crying. Oh my god, the fucking set. Then you just walk, and I just want you to like walk out. Don't like leave the walker there. Just fucking strut. Oh my god, it's all like to get that close. Holy shit, that's. Fucking good. Oh. oh yeah, I guess I don't want my mom to be there when it happens. I'd rather she was gone and then you can do it. You can do it anyways, but I'll make sure this podcast is out by the time I die. So <laughs> you have my full consent. But I don't want my mom to see that. My sister would find it funny, I hope, but my mom doesn't need to see that. <laughs> yeah, the two people who are at your funeral would be horrified, but <laughs> it's just you. <laughs> And the funeral director just laughing at his ass <laughs> <off>. <laughs> like, he's like, he's a funeral director, so he's kind of weird. So he's just been waiting for somebody to go to town, finally. <laughs> How much kid gloves we give to fucking Woody Allen, I can only imagine what happens when he dies. <laughs> but, like... Everybody, we need to keep that one going. Like, I think we all need to appreciate what the fuck is going on with him. Mm-hmm. But it's fine. Yeah. Scott Johansson will still work with him, so I guess that's something. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting seeing what happens to people who were sort of critiqued on social media. What happens when they die? Because I feel like, I like when John McCain died or something. Like, I mean, there were still people on like social media critiquing him, but like at the height of his evilness, like people weren't on social media. But I feel like when, like when like Woody Allen dies. I mean, Woody Allen's also like a little bit before, but a little bit more contemporary. But uh, but at some point there'll be people 
who is just like you don't even have to like find new things to say about them you can just like pull up an old tweet or something it's like no like i said this back then too like yeah. i feel like you'll have more and it won't be as like surprising because people be like oh yeah i remember when that tweet went viral or whatever <laughs> like oh that's the thing like i just oh my god i am very well i remember when one of the coke brothers died everybody's like all the conservative players like hey let's relax everybody and i was like fuck off what <laughs> Like, what are you talking about? What to do? What he's a billionaire. What do you? Who do you, he doesn't need any help. He's fine. His brother's fine. Hello. I can't even fathom a one percent of their wealth. Are you fucking kidding me? And then I can. I'm very nervous for what happens when Trump dies. I mean, I'm not nervous. I know it's gonna happen, but like, I just wish it wouldn't. I just wish it wouldn't. I also hope that, like, President Bernie in his second term doesn't have to, like, give, like, a heartwarming eulogy to Trump. I hope he, like, I hope Bernie hears this and just absolutely fucking, I hope Bernie, uh, justins his, (laughs) uh, coffin. (laughs) I hope Bernie just comes in there and just fucking throws that shit on the ground and says, four more years, bitch, we're repealing the 22nd Amendment. I think that's the amendment about the, (laughs) how how many times the president can run. (laughs) Yeah, also fearful of Trump dying, but Trump has that hate energy that will preserve him for probably a couple more decades. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's what's going to, that's what keeps us, like, fresh. Like, we've been pickled this whole time. Mm-hmm. It's just sheer bile in our <laughs> Um But that's all I have to say. Find your, find, go to your local cemetery and egg the, uh, the graves, I guess is what I'm saying. But only the bad ones. You don't have to, you don't have to speak ill of the dead. You just should when they deserve it. <laughs> I'm not encouraging it. I'm just allowing it. Justin, what do you uh, what do you what do you want to talk about today safely? So my safe room this week is stop arguing with twelve year olds online. No. <laughs> I this are if they fucked my mom just now. How am I gonna? <laughs> Can't let them not go. <laughs> So I I can't remember who I saw tweet this, but I I saw this as a tweet, which is basically just like a lot of these people that you think are the same age as you that you're arguing with online are actually literal children. And once you sort of think about it, I feel like this sort of makes sense because I remember being a lot younger online and just posting some stuff that I would never post now. Not that it was like, necessarily bad or anything but just like stuff that like was cringy or didn't make sense or you know just like a, an opinion i happened to hold at the moment but like wasn't really like correct or like justifiable in hindsight i don't really spend any time getting on in arguments with people online but you know i sometimes you will look at the replies to a comment or whatever and I'll just be like, wow, like, well, how are people, like, how could people believe this? But then you start to think about it, it's like, they probably even really, like, believe it in the sense that we mean as adults when we say we believe something. This is just, like, something they heard their parents say when they came home from middle school and were, like, trying to figure out how to tie their shoes. Like, and but we, like, take it, like, seriously as if it's, like, matters in terms of the political discourse or something. I mean, if, but if you are, like, arguing with people online, like, that's worse, because I guarantee, like, you probably argued with a 12-year-old at some point. <laughs> oh, without, yeah, for sure. 
<laughs> if you take it upon yourself to argue online, you've absolutely hit a 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, too, this kind of like when people start talking about like the Twitter mobs and, you know, all people like piling on, it's like, I don't even, you don't even know that these people necessarily like believe it. It's just like, it's just what like little kids do. It's like, oh, everyone's oh, yeah. saying that this is like, this is like the cool thing to say right now. I'm going to tweet this out too. It's like, it's telling people probably are adults, but I'm just saying like, you know, some of them are kids too. And you just, like, just got to ignore them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that reminds me of, I played a game. I can't remember. Just some real passive ass tower building game. That was like part of like a group with like a lot of different like strangers online and I was in, God, sophomore year of high school, so I would have been, like, 14. And I just, like, hey, I'm not playing anymore. I'm just going to, like, deactivate my account. This is, like, just, like, a waste of time for me. I'm, like, I'm not enjoying it. And this man, who I confirmed was, like, 40 years old, just roasted me. He was just, like, you finally sh- – I will never forget this line. It's, like, you finally shown the true color of your belly, which is yellow. And it was just, like – he just went – there's, like, a dude I like, was in this group with, and he just went to town on me for, like – at least two paragraphs. He just, just like, spick, like, I can't believe you just, like, quit like this. And I was just like, bro, what? And then I was just like, okay, bye. And then he, like, a week and a half later, he, like, commented again, like, broadly to the whole group. My friend was still playing, so he thought he was just, like, an apology to me. And I was just like, I don't care. What are you talking about? Insane. <laughs> And I just like never, and I'll like, so that, what I experienced, I was like, never again. I'll never, I'll never be on the other side of that. I can never be that much of an ass to myself. I can never eat that much shit. I will never allow myself to do that. (laughs) Uh, That's great. Yeah, I feel like it probably does honestly affect people who play these, uh, you know, like online games and stuff. I don't really even do online games, but like. But I did, like, when I was, like, a little kid, but I didn't really use the headsets and stuff. But you do hear, like, these people, like, getting mad at these people talking to them on their headset. And it's, like, Mm -hmm. this person is, like, 10 years old and you're, like, 25. Like, what? That's that's the thing. Mute and report and call it a day. Like, you don't have to engage. It's so much better. It's so much easier and better and does anything. Yeah. Like, I can't – anytime you log in, it's, like – Thanks to your report, like a player has been like banned for a week. You're like, ooh, ooh, it feels good. <laughs> My block list on Twitter good. is so long, and I'm only trying to make it longer. Like, that's my biggest accomplishment <laughs> is just like blocking anyone. Like, anytime I see just like a bad opinion, I just immediately block. But it's like, you're not, there's no point in engaging. Like, it goes back to what I was saying before. Like, these are not the type of people who I'm going to be able to change their mind. Anyway, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I don't know who they are. They don't know who I am. So, like, I don't want to see their opinion ever again. I don't care what they have to say. I'm not interested in talking to them. Like, just immediate block. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying you need to block, like, everyone over, like, the tiniest thing. But, there, are, like, there's you can block more people. Yo, uh, there's always another person to block. <laughs> Sucker born every day. <laughs> Oh my god. I mean, yeah, just don't engage with as few people as possible, and then you can probably cut a couple more off. That's the only <laughs> editing you should encourage is your own social circle. <laughs> yeah, at least, like, I don't know, just 
at least know who you're engaging with online at some like even if you don't know them personally maybe like at least be able if you if you don't feel confident knowing that this person is older than 12 years old you just don't engage like as soon as there's an animated avatar you just cut them off (laughs) Uh, well that is it for this show this week uh, you okay over there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll stretch it. <laughs> Can we do that? No, it's all right. No, we'll keep it. That's fine. <laughs> I don't know what that sounded like coming out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll find out. <laughs> uh, uh, see the show though. <clears throat> see the show notes for a link to view the artifacts for yourself. Uh, music for the podcast was produced by Nicholas Pazuda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mentioned this too, but the shows also have end notes now uh, for when we, uh, you know, fuck up. You can uh, find the corrections <laughs> in the end. Uh, not that I mean, like one hundred percent are on Alex fucking up, but all right, we're <laughs> <laughs> You said you invented minimum wages, minimum effort. Eat my butt. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you an out, and you said, no, I made it up. Uh, rate us five stars on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, or, you know, whatever. I don't know. I mean, keep listening on the podcast. Or if you're already on YouTube, just stand there. But we do have a podcast on YouTube. And tell a friend or enemy about the show. Join us again whenever Alex feels like stop playing video games <laughs> and doing some editing for once in his life. I told you that in confidence. <laughs> As we find two new texts to discuss. Uh, Justin, unfortunately, um, this will actually be my last podcast. I got the note back from the doctor. It's stage four windmill noise cancer. <laughs> so... Uh, logging off good night and good luck everybody (laughs) thank god